University Baptist Church is a faith community striving to think critically, live creatively, and love continually in Baton Rouge, Louisiana. We gather on Sunday mornings at 5775 Highland Road between Lee Drive and Kenilworth Parkland. Visit ubc-br.org or at ubcbr on Facebook for more information. Though we may have never met those who you shared, maybe we have. Regardless, all of us honor them just the same this morning. We'll turn our attention briefly to a verse from the book of Hebrews, chapter 13, verse 7. Hear these words of encouragement and challenge. Remember your leaders who spoke God's word to you. Imitate their faith as you consider the way their lives turned out. Imitate their faith, the writer of Hebrews says. It's a fairly simple message, but one which I think is worth reflecting on. We don't know, actually, who wrote these words, as the book of Hebrews is a bit mysterious to us, anyway. As one scholar writes, Hebrews is well known for what we don't know about it. We don't know the author. We don't know the date. We don't know exactly who this was written to or where it was written. But there are a few things that we can surmise about its context with some confidence. It seems clear that this was written by a Greek-speaking Jew based on the use of the Greek language in this book and references to some of the Jewish scriptures. The book also functions a bit like a sermon with some encouragement and some challenge, some ideas that are a bit broader and more philosophical than, say, some of Paul's letters, which are written to specific communities with very specific concerns. And it seems at some level that those who received this letter, this sermon, we're facing challenges of identity, maybe a sense of exile, a sense of finding their place in the world around them. Some scholars think that maybe this was written following the destruction of the temple in the year 70, which would have left this community feeling lost and confused and discouraged. And so the writer challenges them with remembering those who had gone before them, their leaders who had influenced them, who had taught them and been examples to them. Imitate their faith as you remember how their lives turned out. Well, there's some good evidence that these leaders of theirs, at least some of them, were martyred, they were killed for their faith, perhaps for standing up to empires and powers that were opposed to the message of Jesus. Imitate them, the writer says. That's a dangerous challenge. It seems to me that if you're trying to get by in life, make a good living, stay healthy and well, you probably don't want to imitate the kinds of people that get themselves killed. But the writer, of course, isn't calling this community, these people, to make a living, to just get by and survive. 
or even to stay healthy and well. The writer is calling them to the work of the gospel, to the work of building God's kingdom on earth. And apparently, according to some of their leaders, that's work that's worth dying for. And that's a challenge that, as a preacher, I don't want to skirt around because it's in the scriptures that we read. Jesus calls every disciple to take up their cross and to follow him, whatever that might mean for each of us. But it is important, I think, to point out something about this verse. It says, imitate their faith. It doesn't say, imitate their conduct, their actions, their passions, or the specific ways that they lived out their calling in the world and the consequences of it, but rather imitate the thing that drove them to live that way. Their faith in a God that was making all things right. Be encouraged by the example and legacy of those who have lived their lives with boldness and courage, even when facing outcomes that at best, weren't certain, and at worst, were certain death. Imitate their faith. The writer of Hebrews, a couple chapters before this, offers a thought about what this faith is. It might be the most well-known verse from this book. Hebrews 11, verse 1. Faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. According to this writer, faith is the absolute trust, even if you can't see it, especially when you can't see it, that there is a loving God undergirding all that we see, and that the beautiful and caring and loving world that we hope for can actually come to pass. Remember the example of those who have come before you. Remember their trust and their assurance in what is good and imitate that. When you think about it, this might actually be harder than simply copying and pasting someone else's actions the way they lived out their calling onto our lives. Not that it's a bad thing at all to take up the work of those who have come before you. It's a wonderful thing, but each of us are unique. Each of us brings something different to the table. And the challenge, I think, is to discover what gifts we have. That could be each of us individually. That could be us as a congregation. To discover the needs placed before us, the gifts that we have, and where those two might intersect. Now, it's certainly easy on a day like All Souls Day to think of the famous examples, the Mother Teresa's of the faith who was an incredible example of sacrifice and service to the poorest of the world. 
But the world doesn't need eight billion Mother Teresas. The world needed one Mother Teresa. What the world needs are, is eight billion people who have come fully alive, who have found their calling, who are empowered and energized and encouraged to do their good work, who are empowered and encouraged and energized to imitate her faith. And so on All Souls Day, when you remember those who came before you, who influenced you, who encourage you, you may not have to do everything just as they did, but you can take up the writer's challenge and imitate their faith. I mentioned earlier my grandparents, three individuals who very personally influenced me and whose faith I strive to imitate, even if I don't live it out exactly like they did. But of course, we're also influenced by those whom we've never met. Some of you might be familiar with the story of St. Francis of Assisi, one of my personal favorite saints of the church, whose faith encourages me. He's well known for being the patron saint of animals, and you'll often see statues of him in gardens with birds resting on his head, and that's quite appropriate to his legacy. But my favorite part of Francis's story is the earlier part of his life. If you've ever seen the movie about him that was released, I think, in the 70s, you'll know a little bit about this. His father was a silk merchant, and so Francis grew up quite wealthy. He is said to have been handsome and witty, and he enjoyed spending his money lavishly, especially on clothing. But relatively early in his life, he became disillusioned with all of the riches and the wealth. One account tells of a time when he was selling cloth for his father in the marketplace. When a beggar came by and asked him for some money, Francis was busy, so he let him pass by. But once Francis had finished the deal that he was working on, he felt convicted to run after the beggar and he gave him everything that was in his pockets. It doesn't seem like that big of a deal, but his friends mocked him for it. And his father apparently scolded him in a fit of rage. Francis struggled for years with this tension to find his place and to come to terms with this disillusionment he was experiencing. His friends continued to tease him there were several more incidents of his father's wrath over not behaving like a proper son of a merchant. And before long, his father was so fed up that he tried to force Francis to give up his inheritance. He was done with him. Some accounts say, my favorite part of the story, that in a moment of defiance and prophetic witness, in response to his father's demand, Francis stripped naked in front of him handed him his clothes, renouncing everything about the life that he didn't want to be a part of anymore, exchanging it instead for a life of poverty and service. Now, I don't feel called necessarily to a life of poverty, and you may not either, and 
if my dad is watching online, I'd want to reassure him that I don't plan to strip naked in front of him and hand him my clothes. But I'm deeply inspired by the courage and the boldness, the prophetic witness of a man who would give up everything out of a call to serve. I want to imitate that faith. Francis had an assurance of a world that would not be dominated by those with the fanciest clothes or the greatest amount of wealth, but a world in which the beggar would have all that he needed. And though that world didn't yet exist, Francis stepped out in faith to live in solidarity with those in poverty, stepped out in assurance and trust of something he couldn't yet see to help make the world a bit better. Faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. Since this is the first verse in chapter 11, it's often read as the beginning of a new section, but it's actually a concluding statement to what came before it in chapter 10. And so reading it in context can help us catch the power of what the writer was saying. And hearing this fuller section might be a good, as good a place as any to wrap up these reflections. But recall those earlier days when after you had been enlightened, you endured a hard struggle with sufferings, sometimes being publicly exposed to insults and afflictions and sometimes becoming partners with those so treated. For you had compassion for those who were in prison, and you cheerfully accepted the plundering of your possessions, knowing that you yourselves possess something better and more lasting. Do not, therefore, abandon that confidence of yours. It brings a great reward. For you need endurance so that when you have done the will of God, you may receive what was promised. For yet, in a very little while, the one who is coming will come and will not delay. But my righteous one will live by faith. My soul takes no pleasure in anyone who shrinks back. And I also hear my ancestors saying these next words to me. But we are not among those who shrink back and so are lost but among those who have faith and so are saved. And the writer then concludes, and faith is the assurance of things hoped for and the conviction of things not seen. So on this All Souls Day, we're called to remember the faith of those who came before us, to imitate the hope-filled trust and assurance that drove them to live lives of meaning and purpose. And I'd like to close with a prayer. It was published this week on All Saints Day by one of my favorite poets, poets Steve Garnis Holmes. I invite you to remember all those who have gone before us as you hear these words. Would you pray with me? God of grace, 
for all the saints who have made this world a better place. I give you my praise. For the saints who have loved me, I give you thanks. For those who blessed me without my knowing, who loved me from behind the curtain, I bless you. For the ones who forgave my selfishness, who embraced my loneliness, who understood my fear, I praise the mystery of your grace. For the ones who blessed others and the ones who blessed them, by whom my world was improved, I thank you. For the ones who never knew they blessed me, who shone with light they themselves didn't see, I thank you. And for those who tried and fell short, I give thanks. For those whose unconquered struggles taught me, whose courageous failures inspired me, whose attempts at grace, despite their crudeness, achieved grace, I thank you. And for the saints who picked my fruit and sewed my shirts, who built my world without thanks or pay, I humbly praise. Bless all the saints in whose blessing I live. And now sanctify us, dear God, that we may be a blessing to others. Amen. <laughs>